Yeah, well, it's funny. A lot of people come to us and say, you know, 500 kilo horse, 60k an hour, you're mad, what are you doing? Um, but I think it's uh, they grow on you, you know, they're like big kids and uh, you tend to gel with them and, you know, I mean, if you try and fight them, they're going to win every time. So you can't, you, you can't use your strength against theirs because you're not going to win. So, Welcome to Season 2 of Voices of Value, a conversation between Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton and their high-achieving guests from professional sport, Olympians, business leaders, and ordinary people with value hacks to share through simple life lessons. If you're keen to reach your next level personally and professionally, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Rick and Peter. And welcome to Voices of Value. Peter Kakos here, my good friend, Ricky Rushton. Rick, this is episode number... 50. Raise the bat, or in this instance, acknowledge the judge, because we are on Derby Day in the middle of the Cup campaign, and we've got racing royalty with us, Pete, but we should acknowledge our uh, subscribers. Thank you for being a part of this journey. 50 episodes uh, started August last year, didn't it? I yeah. think it's uh, just continued to... They said we'd never make it. And... Yeah, and they were probably right. Uh, <laughs> in what area? Uh, no, they said we wouldn't make it. It wouldn't last. I don't know who they are, though. We need to find out who they are. Yeah, we need to f- definitely need we to need find out. We need to find out who they are and take names and they... then kick some ass. Exactly. So we wanted to do something um, something special for Derby Day Cup campaign and uh, thought we'd go straight to the uh, director of the Australian Jockey Association. Yeah, he go. wasn't available. so, so that- no. <laughs> <laughs> And just so that we all know what's going on here, the silks that uh, – the blue and white silks, these are owned by my wife, uh, ready to go for uh, our racing progeny that we bred, uh, Mystic Journey. This is in honour of the Wishaw family from Armadale Stud, who are massive, passionate supporters of our particular show, mm. uh, and who have uh, the mighty needs further, a stallion that's produced Mystic Journey, his number one progeny, until Try Further comes along, registered racing name, get all over it, Basta. Um, <laughs> so racing is the theme, and we've got racing royalty with us. Those listeners are probably wondering, well, we can't see it, so what are you talking about? And that's because, Rick? We're on YouTube. We are on YouTube. So if you haven't... Got into YouTube, uh, look at the Voices of Value podcast there, which is uh, we're now there on live, live in live the flesh. Live. I think the and first one was. And you get to see these magnificent blue. It's, it is a North Melbourne blue as it well, is. isn't I it? I thought you'd like it. And uh, Try Further is the name because uh, our horse was one of triplets, which is quite rare in the equine world. So I think the stud has been going for 40 plus years and they only know of two other. No, this was the second other time. And uh, I think the, the resident vet's seen it once in 30 years. So Try Further. Get all over him. But Get we'll, all over we'll, him. We'll talk about that later. But let's talk about today because we do, you know, as you said, it's racing royalty that we do have. And uh, we've got Stephen Baster with us now. And some of you may know him from a, uh, Australian Ninja Warrior. But uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But he is the director of Australian Jockeys Association. Stephen was, has been a jockey since 1991. Um, you were seven, were you? <laughs> Six. Six, okay. Or the height of a seven-year-old. You're actually 15, I believe. Yes. And, uh, and now we, we sit, amongst, uh, sit among a guy who has ridden in over 13,500 rides. 14 right? group ones, which is the absolute pinnacle of that industry. Including a Oaks win last year yeah, with Gay Waterhouse. Good. So we want to hear all about that, and uh, yeah, but like thirteen hundred and sixty odd wins is what I uh, is what I see here. So about ten percent of your rides have been winners. That's extraordinary, especially when you have got such uh, a, a great amount of um, a great amount of rides throughout your career. But also the fact that you've also ridden in uh, how many Melbourne Cups now? 
Sorry, I'm just working out that I've written about 12,000 losers. Mm. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're all about positive here, yes, right. yeah, yeah. So it's uh, And that's latitude to learn. So you've <laughs> learnt 12,000 times how to be a winner 1,300 times. So that's good. Yes. Exactly. So, um, yeah, but how many Melbourne Cups now? Um, I've written in about nine, I believe. Um, and I'm trying to get my 10th, but I'm struggling at the moment. But uh, hopefully before tomorrow afternoon, and hopefully I can pick something up. Yeah. So anyway, welcome to Voices of Value, Stephen Bastard. There we go. Thanks. And, uh, round Thanks, of applause. Guys. That's our studio audience just over there, Steve. Just imagine that they're there <laughs> and uh, I'll give them the acknowledgement. But, I didn't um, get the memo for the outfit. Doesn't matter. You could have yeah. worn anything. But you, you, you're with us now before you have some obligations at the Carbine Club. So we're going to delve right on into it. We are absolutely fascinated in this particular podcast, dealing with people who are world-class and elite of what they do and digging into their organising principles. How do they set themselves up for success? And I know that you know, whenever I speak to anyone, whether it's Des O'Keefe, uh, whether it's um, Maddie Highland, whether it's anybody involved in the Victorian Jockey or National Jockeys Association, whether it be our good friend Craig Williams, who was a guest on episode 9 and 10 maybe or 8 and 9, I can't remember, um, they all say the exact same thing about you. You are incredibly well-liked within the jockey ranks, which isn't uh, something that happens too easily in any industry let alone the competitive world of jockeys. Uh, and when I ask people what is it about you, they all come back with the same word, that you are absolutely thinking about everyone else before yourself, which we, which I think is a, an interesting concept. So take us through your sort of um, career uh, as, a, as a jockey and what you think has attributed most to your success going forward. Um, thank you for the kind words from everybody that you've spoken to. Um Oh, look, I, I first left school after year 10 just for the school holidays to go and uh, I was so small everybody said I should go and be a jockey and I uh, hadn't touched a horse. So after year 10 I went to the stables in Brisbane and uh, started with a guy called Roy Dawson and um, I lasted a month there and hated it and then went to another guy and then another guy and then I was lucky enough to come across a guy called Lindsay Hatch who was foreman for a trainer down in between Brisbane and the Gold Coast and, and they took me to Pony Club and looked after me and just found a nice family to live with basically and all of a sudden I loved it and uh, never looked back and then luckily they put me on to some other people in Melbourne, Mark Riley and it was another guy, Steve Brown, that uh, got me to come down here and I was just basically lucky that I ran into the right people at the right time and I was enjoying it. And you absolutely come with, uh, you know, to this interview today with, you know, an amazing CV as Pete read out there in the introduction. So at what stage did you think, you know, maybe I could actually make a real good go at this? Like, you know, obviously it was something you were sort of, you, you didn't go looking for it. It kind of found you by the sounds of it. At what stage did you realise, might be okay at this and maybe I can make an absolute go at this? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I was probably really late in maturing in, in that way because I, I rode a couple of Group 1 winners when I was an apprentice, which is was extremely rare, and I look back now and I, I probably didn't have the skill set. I was uh, – it's a bit embarrassing when I look back on watch the videos now, but uh, luckily enough the people that were around me um, gave me the opportunities and, look, I, I, I probably didn't deserve them at the time and uh, it probably wasn't until I was 24, 25 that I got serious about it and decided, well, I'm having a bit of lucky. I must be going okay at it. I'm not, not the worst at it. So um, it's something that I, I've enjoyed and I, and I do it quite easy. Um, I've always been quite dedicated with my fitness um, and found something that would complement my job. So I started off doing Taekwondo for about 10 years and I did running, then I did triathlon and now I do cycling. It's, well, it's my body's got older, I've had to do lower impact sports, but uh, <laughs> it obviously has helped me keep my weight down. That obviously keeps me mentally tougher as well. So it's uh, 
I've just found things like that have complemented my job. So, Stevie, you're 44 now. The average age of a jockey is around 32. Um, what is it? Is it this fitness that's enabled you to go on? Is it? Um, what, what would you put it down to? Because it's a it's a fair bit above mm. that that average sort of age, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it's the average age sort of comes down to 32 that people retire because so many people get to 18, 19, 20, and their weight gets the better of them, so so they're out of it quite quick. Um, but then we've got injuries, which touch wood, I've been I've been quite lucky with injuries, and my body's stayed well. And yes, the fitness works obviously helped me. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. we often talk about this on you know this show when you know we, we we speak to people in challenging industries. I don't know too many more challenging industries, Pete, than being a jockey. There's not too many workplaces where you're followed around in practice, in training, and in race day with an ambulance yeah. and paramedics on call, ready to go. So let's put things into perspective. A horse weighs. 500 kilos? On average, yeah. Yep. The speed of about 60K an hour? Yep. And your weight is? About 52, 53. About 52. That's pretty scary. Yep. Numbers don't lie. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to be on the wrong end of those numbers, do you? So to control these horses, talk to us about – Talk to us about your affection. Actually, let's let's go back a bit. Talk about your affection for for horses. When we when we interviewed Willow, you could just say he loves that they're, they're just yep. he just loves horses. Yep. You know, cares so much for them, and and I see that in our conversations that we've had Stevie over the over the past few weeks. I see the same thing with you as well. I'm assuming it's the same with jockeys. But talk about your affiliation just with that beautiful animal. Yeah, well, it's funny. A lot of people come to us and say, you know, 500 kilo horse, 60k an hour, you're mad, what are you doing? Um, but I think it's, uh, they grow on you, you know, they're like big kids and uh, you tend to gel with them and, you know, I mean, if you try and fight them, they're going to win every time. So you can't you, you can't use your strength against theirs because it's not going to win, so you're not going to win. So you tend to gel with them and go with them and uh, they're big kind animals, you know, they're big kind animals and, you know, they, they've got them fit and healthy and well and... You know, they can sense where you're at with them and I've, you know, I, I love them. So it's always been something that I've, you know, if I find the right horse and you gel with it, it's uh, it's, a, it's a great feeling. Mm. And you hear a lot of commentators say, this horse seems to run for this jockey. Um, talk us through that. Is that that relationship that you're talking about? They may be a horse that's ridden in track work by the same jockey, so there's a bit of familiarity there, but potentially. Is that what they're talking about? Yeah, I, I, I think it's confidence. I think it's um, confidence. So if you've had a fair bit to do with the horse, you know it inside and out, you know it well, you become really confident with that horse. Whereas the group one, when I rode when I was an apprentice, that horse ran for me my boss put me on it because now that I look back, it probably didn't think I was on its back because uh, <laughs> it was taking you for the ride. I wasn't doing I wasn't doing much, but uh, that obviously that obviously worked for that horse. So um, different people do suit different horses. And talking about you as an individual, everyone who I talk to about you just says you've always got a smile on your face. Um, must be tough for you to go to funerals because you always seemingly are smiling when you're being interviewed by everybody. You know, Jason Richardson just loves you. He just says it's really easy to interview you know uh, Stevie Bastard because he's just always so upbeat, so so energised. Do you put that down to is that a natural personality trait of yours or is that a benefit of your training which you are really passionate about, as you say, from running triathlons to you know sort of obviously the bike riding in Spain and we'll get to that in a minute, but do you put it down to your, your fitness regime or is it just part of your character and your, and your makeup? I think it's part of me um, because I feel lucky. Um, I think uh, I've had a really good life. Everything's been um, been fantastic and, uh, you know, you look at a lot of people that are a lot worse off than you and 
you know, I just uh, <laughs> I just love life. I guess I think my my job's taken me places that I've really enjoyed, and I think I've been really lucky to be with the people that I've been with and the and the worked with the animals and. You know, it's. Uh, I'm obviously in my twilight now. We're not. We're not far off from hanging up the boots. But um, I've just been really lucky in life. So um, yeah, I think uh, once I once I uh, leave this sport, I'll be just as happy. And uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm smiling because I'm happy. Mm. And and it must be incredibly challenging. I'd, I'd love to sort of get a bit of an insight into you know communications expert over here, Ricky Rushton, the communication that would need to take place with a trainer and a jockey. And an owner and a jockey, mm. let, let's call it communication slash abuse, you know. <laughs> um, but it is. I, look, I've, you know, I've seen it. I've, I've witnessed it. Just, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's been sort of bandied around. Um, apparently it was all the jockey's fault or whatever it may be, which, you know, m- maybe at times it is. But you, you, you do cop a bit, don't you, if you don't, if the horse doesn't sort of get up. But how do you sort of manage that? And how's the, how's the communication? How's the relationships with and the personalities go with you know, particular trainers and owners and all that sort of stuff. How do you deal with that? Well, basically I've winged it, haven't I? So uh, if I had known Rick a few years ago, it might have helped. But, um, <laughs> oh, look, uh, obviously there's a lot of heat in the moment, so I, I try not to get into too big a debate on the day if I, if I can, if, if there's an issue, because um, obviously everybody wants to win. But as you know, we win one in ten at the best, um, one in six if you're flying. Um, but, you know, people have, people invest a lot in racing and uh they get very passionate about it and you know sometimes you can you can watch a video and think you know why did this happen but you know you've got to explain to them you know that you're you're the person that's riding the horse the horse has got a mind of its own it hasn't got a motor it's not a motorbike you can't if it wants to do something unfortunately you don't have a lot of say so Mm. there is things that go wrong um there's another 15 little buggers like me trying to stuff up my race as well so Mm. Um, things don't always go your way, but uh, look, I—I <laughs> I was just about to say I've had many blues, but I probably have. But, uh, <laughs> so. I'm tipping if you've ridden for Gay Waterhouse, you would not be slight in coming forward with some feedback if well, you got it wrong. I, I can tell you how that things work there. Yes, gay. <laughs> Sorry, gay. Yes, gay. See, I'm married to gay, same spelling, G-A-I, not Gay Waterhouse, um, my, and I do the same thing. Yes, gay. Okay, gay. Okay, you just accept it and move on. But so is it is it a case as Pete's saying that so you've experienced something, they've seen it from you know, from the stands. Uh, talk us through what happened there. There was a gap, why didn't you go there? Well, you might have seen the gap, but I had a horse that was already out on its legs and had nothing to take me into that gap. So I've had to, you know, adjust accordingly. Do you go into that depth or do you just go I hear what you're saying. Um, there's a reason for it. If you want it now, I'll give it to you now. But most trainers tend to sort of have that chat before because we've been owners where we see the trainer talk to the jockey and then it's almost been a debrief there and it's almost like, well, you better be careful what you say over here because there's some pretty full-on personalities in this mm. ownership group who are always talking through their wallet typically. It's like, wish there were a gap there. Why didn't you take it? It's like, uh, well, because, bang. Is it that sort of situation for you? Yeah, it is. Um I've got it wrong a few times as well. Um, obviously, uh, put my foot in it and said the wrong thing a few on the odd occasion. But uh, I try and come back in and give them a rundown of the whole race. So how it began, you know, if something upset the horse and got it over racing or whether we got back a pair too far or when the split came, I was on empty, I couldn't go or I thought the track was better off the fence so yep. I wanted to get to the outside. That's why I didn't take that run to the inside. Um 
a lot of owners don't actually know that by the time they get back because they've only watched it once. Yeah. So they haven't had a chance. So it's, it's normally feedback after the race. I, I come back and, and give them my thoughts and then they'll go back and watch the replay and go, ah, that's Got what it. he's talking yeah. about. That's what he's talking about. But there's some owners that you go, there was no run there for me. I drew barrier one. You wanted me to box seated. I couldn't get out. And they'll go, what were you doing? You're never, ride, you're never riding this thing again. Piss off. We're going to put another jockey on it. Even though they can watch the video and go, there's nowhere for him to go. Mm. And that happens to you a fair bit, doesn't it? Like I've seen you in an early preparation with a horse get it to a point where it's now challenging for something and it looks like it's a, it could be a stakes race, could be a black type race, could be a group. And they go, okay, thanks, Stevie, you've been great, but now we're going to give it to Damien Oliver or now we're going to give it to – how do you deal with that where you've done the heavy lifting, so to speak, maybe got up at you know 3.30 a.m. to get to track work wherever it is and then you've been replaced when it's got to a maybe a, a more of a showcase type event and you've been sort of tipped aside. And we're seeing it happen right now with Linda Meach. We're seeing it happen right now with a lot of jockeys. How do you, how do you deal with that when you've done the heavy lifting and then you get shunted for a higher profile Jose Marrero type sort of scenario? Yeah, well, unfortunately it is, you know, it happens in racing every week. Every week I would have been taking off thousands of horses in, in my career. It just It's just part of it and there's a bit of a merry-go-round. Um, I've probably learnt in the last, well, probably for a while now, I just smile <laughs> <laughs> and say thank you, thank you for the opportunity and uh, because what will happen, that jockey that rides it might not have any luck and that way you'll be back on it again next start or they might have a bit of luck on it but then they've got to ride in the next race that they've got two horses that they could ride. So, look, you don't want to burn bridges and... and I understand that you know that they pay the bills and it's their horse. If they don't want you on, it's bad luck. But you know it, it can be hurtful if you've done all six months' work on it and uh, you make one mistake and then see you later. It doesn't even have to be a mistake, does it? They just kind of go like I, I think of Luke Nolan, like he's right, and then to be told, sorry, we're going to get we're going to give it to Glenn Boss, who's now suspended, or we might get Jose. What have I done? Like he didn't do anything wrong. Mm. In fact, the run he did in the I think it was the Turnbull, or might have been the Caulfield, Caulfield Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like. Didn't do anything. I couldn't get out. It's not, yeah. not his fault. But, uh, and, you know, but, that's the challenge, isn't it, for you? you there's, there's so many experts that have never been on the back of a horse. But it's, it's so many similarities with business, isn't it? It's how you deal with adversity. Yep. You know, how you deal with that, that sort of disappointment. That's, that's what everyone faces on a day-to-day basis, especially in a real estate industry, you know, as well, where, you know, you're in there, you do everything you can. It's like, no, we're going to go with the other agent. It's yeah. like, you're kidding me? But we've... We've, we've got to know each other. <laughs> I've been sending um, you birthday cards for twenty years. <laughs> what about that Christmas card last year? Did that not mean anything? But um, but but that that is the, that is a harsh reality, isn't it? It's interesting. It, it's um, horse racing is a sport, yeah. But you are well and truly in the service industry, aren't you? Well and truly in the service industry, mm. you are serving the trainers, the particularly the owners. Um, it's quite amazing that you know more than more than any other any other sport. Whereas the the feedback is instant and it's brutal. Mm-hmm. You know, after after ninety seconds or you know or, or or three minutes, whatever it may be, it's it's yeah. You've got, you've got to be relatively thick skinned do you? Or? Yeah, well, I guess so. I guess if you want to compare it to real estate, I guess it's um, coming in on a horse that wasn't good enough on the day, couldn't win, is probably similar to telling someone their place is worth two million, but then the market comes along and tells you it's only worth one and a half. Mm. You know, it's not an easy it's not an easy conversation. <laughs> there it is. Uh, but I think the other thing is most real estate agents haven't been fasting for a week. They're not trying to get down to a certain weight and to do, so that I'm being really serious about this because the welfare yep. and emotional well being and we've had, you know, Wayne Schwass on this program, we've had Nick 
racks on this yep. program. You know, I am staggered that people just want to tee off on jockeys when these are people that are getting up at some ungodly hour. They're probably fasting. They're in the gym. They're sweating. They're trying to lose weight. They're not hydrated properly. They sometimes ride lightheaded. And they're trying to control, as we talked about earlier, a half-ton animal. And then, you know, they give the very best they've got, come in through no fault of their own, hasn't, hasn't got the result, and then people just tee off on them. If not in the owner's circle, on social media, they just go vitriolic. And it's someone, you cost me my $10 quaddy. It's like, really, mate, seriously? Yeah. You know, you probably could have put that 10 bucks into a health regime as opposed to, <laughs> you know, like that's the point though, mm. isn't it? Like you, you're dealing sometimes and you're emotionally challenged with your, your not so much, you, you, you tend to go okay in the weight area, but there's a lot of jockeys that are doing it tough. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a massive part of our game that's probably underestimated. I, I, I've ridden till now until I'm 44 and, uh, look, if I had weight troubles like some of these guys, um, you know, Jamie Motts of the world and, you know, some of the bigger guys, mm. Jordan, Ch- Jordan Childs who's Jordy. wasting really hard now to ride in the Melbourne Cup. Dylan Dunn's just come back yeah. after showing a lot of promise thinking he was just going to get too big and couldn't control his weight and he's just he's, he's doing everything he can to get back into that echelon, isn't he? Yeah, see, people, people don't understand the – if anybody's ever done the 40-hour famine, you know, it's just uh, these guys are – not eating for a long time and then also getting in the car with sweat gear on and losing weight on the way to the races and it gets you awfully uh gets you awfully grumpy um Mm. and it does it plays with your brain so some of them boys do an amazing job Mm. amazing job so how do you deal with the social media boys and girls girls, because there's quite a few girls as well how do you deal with the social media sort of feedback that is so prevalent now with keyboard warriors i am um, I'm, I'm quite uh <laughs> smart. you've got to watch this on youtube if you're not watching this on youtube all you're seeing even through tough challenging Unf- situations unflappable unflappable just um, like yeah i don't find that uh i don't find that too harmful because you know most of the people that are doing that are, are hiding behind somebody or yeah. um you know you get the odd occasion i i did have one person um a few years ago send a message to my wife ab- abusing which was going too far yeah mm. um but the social media stuff it's it's water off a duck's back to me. I don't worry about that. I, I might even poke them every now and then, like <laughs> like their comment or something, you know, just to uh, just to really get them going. So, so you talk about sort of moods and so forth. So you're married to the beautiful Melissa, who was a jockey. Yep. As well. Um, so she understands the the sort of potential mood swing or the supporting nature that's needed. I, I'd imagine there'd be incredible support that's needed to do what you do. I get home and we've got two young kids and uh, no matter how fried I am, I can promise you she's she's worse than me by the time I get home. So <laughs> I can walk in the door and instantly know how I'm going. But uh, yeah, look, she is. She's she's uh, she's she's ridden and uh, put up with all the things that I've put up with. So um, yeah, she's she's across it. So we're a good good tight family. Yeah, I love it. And you're representing the jockeys in you know the industry body, helping them in terms of getting um, you know better conditions potentially. Where do you see the challenges for jockeys moving forward? Uh, other than the obvious, which is as a human race, we're getting bigger and we're 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 obviously developing. You know, our, our children's generation can, tend to be bigger, and uh, you know we've got challenges right across the world with sort of weight issues from you know the lifestyle choices we make where do you see the biggest challenges and what do you what do you hope is your legacy and your role representing the jockeys in a national position to make things safer better and obviously you know i guess improve for the whole industry i think um um firstly the jockey size 
I can't see that changing much than what it already is um, due to the horses not getting bigger. So yeah. they can only carry so many, so much weight and it becomes an issue for them sound-wise sound whether they're going to break down on that. So you can't have too much weight on their back. So I think the way the weight scale is now, there's not too much room for movement. It could go up maybe a little bit, but there's not too much room for movement. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot more girls coming to the sport now. They, they tend to be a little bit lighter than the guys, but not necessarily, not mm. necessarily, but they are a little bit smaller. So there's more girls coming into the sport and they're doing a great job. Um, and the guys that, you know, if, if you're above, I'm only five, four and a half, that half's important. <laughs> um, the guys that are, you know, there's, there's guys riding that are six foot. It, yeah. It's I don't know how they do it. Stevie Arnold. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a bit mm. crazy. You know, I feel for them, but, I mean, if you're a jockey, you're a jockey. You, mm. you should be small. Um, obviously, being on the Jocks Association, I've got to be supportive of, every, of everybody. Of and if, if they choose to do it, good on them, but it, it's tough. Mm. You know, but I, I can't see the weight scale going up too much higher than what it is at the moment. And what's your main legacy that you want to leave behind with your time on this particular uh, sort of industry body where you, you're trying to improve things for everybody, but specifically from a jockey bent? Yeah, well, we, we pretty much uh, everything, everything, everything is involved with the jockey, jockey's life we're involved in now. And I think over the last 10 years with um, Des O'Keefe and now Matty Highland, I think things have improved sharply. Um, yeah. Our conditions, our wages, um, our safety, um, especially in Victoria. I think um, Racing Victoria have done an amazing job of um, helping the jockeys here. We've got just everything look, looked after when we go to the races now. We've got... Um, plastic running rails at pretty much every course. We've got top medical care. We've got um, um, top care away from racing if we need help with anything. Um, just we've got we've got it really good now. So I think uh, the way things are going, as long as they don't go backwards, I think it's a, it's quite a good job if, if, they're, if they're the right size. And the National Jockeys Trust, which you're obviously a, a passionate supporter of as well, which uh, raises funds to look after families of jockeys that have paid the ultimate price for their pursuit of their passion in the sport. You know, that's in a healthy state now and getting better, uh, a bigger recognition right throughout the industry. Yeah, it's, um, it's one thing that makes me feel a little bit sad um, because the National Jockeys Trust does an amazing job, um, but in my 28 years of riding, I've obviously seen a number of people um, die, lose their lives, and uh, quite a number more have been injured and, and got quite catastrophic injuries that they that they struggle now, and they've got a bit of got to live with pain. And uh, the National Jockey Trust helps them out, and it is a dangerous job, and that's one of the downfalls. But the good thing is the National Jockey Trust is there to support them and, and, and help their, them and their families. That's true. You're doing doing an amazing, amazing job. job. It's yeah. so so good to hear. The depth of um, that that people are going to 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 make sure that these people are supported and so yeah, forth. Yeah, and that's a selfless effort because you don't get paid for any of that. You're obviously fronting up to do the best for your your fellow jockeys right across the country and things of that nature. And you know we're we're about to go em, embark on a the spring you know season where well, we are in in the spring racing, which gives enormous amounts of people great amounts of happiness. Bloody oath. Whether it be just going there to socialise, social or functions, do whatever. Be I've been, I must admit, I've been one who's been a few Melbourne Cups and not seen a horse, but that's. <laughs> That's, that, that was the old days. That was that was years ago. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah, and, yeah, still the case. So, how different is it? You talk about the um, Victorian racing and so forth. You spent time. Was it about eight or nine years ago in Singapore? Um, yeah, I've, yeah, I've been um, Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Mauritius. I've been to all of them places, and it's um, it's it's a totally different experience for for a, for a jockey um, because everyone goes there to punt. 
they don't go there to have a good time. They go there to have a bet, and, right. and uh, they're crazy passionate about it, which is which is good. I, I quite enjoyed. But um, as Australia, like you said, you can go to the races and have the best time, and not even see a horse. You know, so it's uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I must admit, uh, once I retire, I'll be looking forward to um, having a day out at the races at some stage and uh, <laughs> and enjoying it instead of being. Uh, you know, public holidays where they're being the entertainment for everybody. So it's yeah. uh, it'll be really strange. Rick was talking about uh, – we are talking about the, the fitness element um, before of, of what you've done, you know, the taekwondo, the running, the triathlons and so forth. I just want to touch a little bit on Ninja Warrior because I did watch you Ninja Warrior. And if you haven't seen Stephen Bastion on Ninja Warrior, just, um, just Google that. Um, what the hell happened? What happened there? <laughs> Look, this is, I think this is a chance for you to just really have the microphone, come yep. clean, let us know. Just, just tell us. We're into honesty here. This is like 360, you know, full frontal feedback. Go. So I was at the races one day and I think I was in race one and eight and I'm sitting in the car on Facebook as you do and uh, it came up that applications are open for next year at Ninja Warrior, you know, and, you know, my Taekwondo background, Ninja, Taekwondo. <laughs> And We're joining those dots. <laughs> yep, yep. Even though it was 20 years ago, but anyway, um, probably left it a little bit late in life. But uh, look, I, I sent it to a few of the boys. What do you reckon? And of course, they were all for it because they, I'm the one, I'm the one that's gonna make an idiot of myself. So I applied and uh, had to go through a bit of a strenuous um, application. You know, they take you to a CrossFit gym and you compete against other people, and uh, it was quite tough. But uh, anyway, made it, made it, got in. Probably being a jockey helped, and. Uh, Anyway, so I got there at oh, – I had to go to town at 9.30 in the morning. They did interviews all day and then went over to Williamstown about 4.30 in the afternoon. They showed us the obstacle course once. Um, we sat where the audience did. Then we went and sat in a tent and I was on at 12.30 at night. So I didn't get to see anybody oh, before wow. you. When you get out there, you get to see the people before you go. So there was this boxing guy that was fit as 10 men that went before me. <laughs> he fell off at the first obstacle. I just – my nerves were shot and I'm just thinking this is not good. You, you so, did take that a bit slow, that first obstacle, yeah. I noticed. Well, my wife just wanted to see me fall in the water. So <laughs> <laughs> if I went in at the first, she's she's laughing. So all I wanted to do was get over the first, which which I did. You were so I, happy because you, you actually put the arms up as well. I was like, mate, you haven't finished yeah, yet. Sorry, There's you, another nine yeah, obstacles. The gates have opened, you've jumped. That's all the, you're in the race, but you haven't won anything yet. <laughs> well, I – didn't make it through to the semis because of that because I went too bloody slow. But um, look, I you were determined too much. Good time. I just wanted to get over each <laughs> obstacle, and every one I made it, well, I was just wrapped. So hey, tortoise uh, in the hair. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, as long as you get through the course, that's all that matters, isn't it? But, yeah, uh, but I didn't. I ended up in the water. So, well, yeah. uh, so was I watching the semi? Or was that your? Only no, uh, no, I didn't make it to the semi. Okay. I was too <laughs> slow. I just thought I must have missed that. Pre- yeah, it's no. a showcase seventy-eight grade. Never quite made <laughs> it to the listed section, but yeah, you know, hey, it was going pretty, uh, pretty well. Oh, good on you for having a no, go. Absolutely, and I think it just speaks to the volumes of this man's sort of personality and his profile. He doesn't. He's not going to let what he can't do stop him. He's going to have a go and see what he can do in that instance, which is important. Um, when we interviewed Willow, uh, he was uh, a passionate student. He would study, you know, vision. He would look at the horses riding. He'd look at the race, who's who's accepted, who the jockeys are. He'd realise that that jockey likes to put their horses forward into the race. So if he can sort of, you know, restrict that, that opportunity. He was a, a massive – I reckon his planning would be in the tens of hours to, to, to run, jump and go for maybe what could be a minute – you know, 90 seconds or even, you know, 55 challenge if it's that sort of race. 
he's a track walker, he's, he's all those things. What's your sort of take on all that stuff? Do you, do you prepare as much as him or is he a professor and you're kind of just a happy student? What, 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 where would you say you are in that? Yeah, I think that's probably a good analogy actually. He's, um, he's next level, Willow. He's, uh, he's all about the sport. He loves it and every minute of his day is consumed by racing. And uh, I enjoy life and yep. <laughs> uh, I think I've been quite lucky with how far I've got. Um, I do my homework. I do do my homework. I don't turn up uh, without doing my homework. So but how long would that take you? So, so you got It depends on the race yep. um, and depends on the horse, whether I know the horse, don't know the horse. Exposed form, no, not exposed form, a maiden. So you've got nothing really to go research Yeah, there. well, you can now. We can, we, can, we can look up. The information out yep. there is crazy now. Yep. So we can, we can look everything up. Um, you can look up their jump outs, you can look up past wins, whether they're good at that track, and then you can go from there to studying everybody else's horse in the race, which Willow does. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, we know. Yeah, he, he comes and tells you how your horse is going to go before you go. Exactly. But um, oh, end of the day, him, they're him. horses and nobody knows. Nah, nobody knows. So um, you can do as much homework as you like. Um, but on average, would you? How, how long would you spend in, in, your, in your week? How on average, I'm probably half an hour each race. Okay. Half an hour each race um, on average. Okay, which uh, is, bigger, is pretty bigger, fair. Bigger. And do you walk tracks? No, I'm not a track walker. So because I get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I go out there and have a look and I go, oh, the fence is off, I'll sit three wide on this one. Fence is on all day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so I just haven't. Uh, I've never really been good at, good at that. That's one thing. One thing I'm fu- I'm flawed at. So uh, it's I tend to ask other people. Um, obviously, after the first race, second race, third race, you get, get a better, you get a better idea yeah. anyway. So do you think they're giving you the real intel, or is it? Yeah, uh, you guys are pretty good at helping each other out. It so. depends on who you ask. Yeah. Okay. So, Which leads me to my next question: uh, of all of the jockeys that you've raced with against, and you know, Australia globally, who do you think is the best in your opinion, and what what makes them the best? Don't say Willow. Okay, so fast horses make good jockeys. Yep. However, there is a lot of good jockeys out there. I think um, there's the top oh, 10%. Oh, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say there's the top 5% yep. that are blokes um, that are just – you can – I guess it's a feel from a, from another jockey um, that you ride against. It's obviously the Hugh Bowmans, the Willows, the Ollies, um, Oh, I'm going to miss people here because there's so many of them. Damien Lanes, um, Joe Moreras. You see these guys and and they're they just have it. They're yep. just you know. Um, and what is that? If you had to define it's, it, it's it's a skill. It's a skill that you can't be taught, and you either have it or you don't. Yep. Um, and they've got that. It's the split second decision making, but it's not even that. It's they're relaxed on the horse. The confidence. Um, and it, it can come and go. You can see people that have it and you can see they lose it because they lose confidence. They might have ridden a lot of crap horses for a while and a horse can take away your confidence because it's got control of you. It can take away your confidence very quickly or you mm. can have a fall in a race and your confidence goes. But the guys that are the stars, they're, um, they have that spunk about them. You know, they've got something that's... Uh, Next level, and they're clear the thinking edge. by the sounds of it. Like they just, they don't double think themselves. They just they they back themselves in and they go. I saw that with Mark Zara recently. He's just in ripping form, and it's almost like you just see him. He's he's picked what he wants to do, and he's just going to execute it. And he's jumped on some horses that are very good. We get that, but he's also got some horses. He almost physically picked them up and thrown them over the line. He's 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 amazing at that. But when I spoke to him, he said, "Yeah, it's not my life. 
you know, he loves taking holidays. He, he just says, I like playing in the big games. Like mm. he, he wants to be a post-season player, which is hard for you to understand, uh, Pete, because you're very from North Melbourne. But um, <laughs> he just wants to play fine, doesn't he? He wants to be in the big races. And then when, when the weather's turned ordinary, he wants to go to the Northern Hemisphere and get some sun. Yeah, but that's um, probably similar to real estate. Um, winter's a bit quiet, so everyone goes on holidays. And Zara's the same. He likes being there because the money in the other times is, is when the big money is and, the, mm. and it's quiet in winter. So... That's when they tend to take their holidays. Um, I don't know if I mentioned Zara and them jockeys earlier, but he's definitely yeah, one, one of, of those, he's yeah. definitely one of the stars. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think clear thinking. They they, they don't get rattled. Yeah. Uh, that is definitely another thing that uh, you know they're, they're tough under pressure. They they make the decision and, and they stick by it. It's confidence. They're, and they're mm. on pretty good terms with themselves, aren't they? <laughs> like they don't <laughs> they don't let other people's opinions dictate what they do. No, no, but they get rattled. They get yeah. rattled. You can see, uh, you know, especially when they're wasting, they can get rattled pretty yeah. easy. So, it, um, but in the race, they're, they're they're game on. Can we talk about it? we're entering Melbourne Cup and we uh, let, let's focus on the Melbourne Cup. It's it's the you know also the ultimate, isn't it? It's the um, it's the biggest race. It's a race that stops the nation. It's um, it, it's you know it's amazing to think of a horse race that, that literally does stop the nation mm. wherever you are. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that doesn't even have to be in Australia, does it? Now, and despite our um, Sydney friends telling us it's all about the Everest, like welcome to you know, yeah. thank you. Uh, One hundred fifty years of history tells us that maybe yeah, I, I don't think there'd be too many people in the world that would know about it. But so, from a jockey's point of view, uh, apart from the obvious um, of, of millions and millions of people watching it, um, talk to us about the Melbourne Cup. What what makes it so special? I think pretty much everything you just said. Then it's um, history. It's uh, I remember being in my family having nothing to do with racing, but in Queensland when I was in probably year four, we used to stop class, get a TV, watch the race. My mum probably had a trifecta or something for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good culture to be bringing up, but, um, but it was uh, it was just exciting. You know, it was exciting, and uh, it's it's just an amazing race, and it's um, it's definitely the race that I wish I'd won. It's um, everybody wants to win it. You know, it's, it is the race. It's yep. uh, it's the holy grail, and and, it, and it's tough from a jockey's perspective. The thirty two hundred meters. It, is, is it just grueling? Is it tough? Is it is it a lot of jostling, or what? What goes on? What goes on in a race? Give it, give us the insider. Tighten your seatbelt before the gates open because uh, the boys aren't going to give an inch. It's yeah. uh, every man for himself, and obviously you've got to try and keep your horse relaxed because it's a thirty two hundred meter race. So it's a fine line between jostling for position and keeping your horse relaxed because if you give it a little dig to hold the position and it gets keen, your race is over. Mm-hmm. So it's a real fine line, but it's. Uh, it's definitely the race, you know. It's a, it's great to watch, and you don't see jockeys come out of the jockeys' room and climb the tower to watch many races. Whereas the Melbourne Cup, I promise you, there's not many left in the jockeys' room. They're mm. all they're all out there watching it. Mm. And, and, it's, a, it's and what's your feeling that it's become more of an international thing now, as opposed to, you know, once upon a time you'd, you'd sort of see a New Zealand bred, Australian bred horse. Yeah, you could you could find something through a staying bloodline like Zabil or something like that, and go, oh, that's a, that's a cup chance. Now they're going to Ireland to get them. They're going global. What's your views on that? I can see the argument for people that are betting on the race to say, you know, it's hard to follow the form lines or, or whatever, but at the end of the day, you're gambling. Yeah. Um, I'm all for competition. I love it. I think the the better horses they bring over, the better jockeys, I, I love the competition because we're just as good as them. Mm. You know, we've got some great horses here and great mm. riders and uh, 
if you don't compete against the best, how, how, are, you, how are you going to know? Yeah, Love it. Great attitude. And mm. Pete and I are very much into giving back to the next generation coming through. So whenever someone talks to us about real estate and they just started, you know, can you spend – uh, a coffee chat with me or something like that. We'll do it all the time because we love it. You're, the apprentice school in Victoria, and I've had the great fortune of sort of, you know, through Maddie and Des and um, and Willow. You know, these kids that are coming through, like they're coming through and they're winning group ones. You did it. You said by just luck. I don't know if that's quite true, but you did it. You know, because the horse maybe took you there. Some of these kids, like when, when Geordie Charles, Joe McNeil, they've ridden horses that I've been involved with and they are so articulate. They they are very clear on what they're trying to do in the mounting yard before the race. I'll tell you what their, their plan is. I'll come back and tell you how they executed it. They are incredibly talented. There's no doubt about that, the skill you talked about earlier. Uh, do you think they're better prepared than your generation and, and as that goes forward, do you see that continuing to, to sort of improve? Um, so... Um, Geordie Charles and John McNeil are both champion young men, um, to mention them first. Um, are they better than my generation? When we were coming through apprentice school, they're 250% better than we were when we came through apprentice school because our apprentice school was at Caulfield, 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night. We had one hour where um, Mrs King, one of the trainer's wives, would give us some um, a cup of tea and some biscuits and would act, act like idiots for the hour. For the hour. Whereas now they've got a proper program in place. They've got um, everything. They've dietitians, got ev- dietitians um, psychs, people helping them, um, people like you helping them with their with their planning, and they're just so much better prepared. When, when they, they've got the mechanical horses, I used to have a chaff bag. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you and I were going to ride later for the cameras. <laughs> um, so they come out of the apprentice school now. It's a massive advantage, massive advantage for them because they come out and they um, the horses get handicapped. So the best horse obviously carries 59 kilos, but because you're an apprentice, you can claim that three kilos off their back. So owners and trainers want to put them on to get that advantage and they're every bit as good as the senior jockey now when they're probably a year in. Mm. So they've got an amazing advantage and, again, well done to Racing Victoria. They've just uh, got that apprentice school going at treat and the guys there that uh, look after the kids have done an amazing job. And speaking of kids, Mm. if – Either of yours wanted to sort of pursue the uh, Izzy the, and Penny. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would 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 that be something you'd be sort of encouraging, discouraging? What would you do? Um, so Izzy, we put her on one when she was about three, and it jumped forward, and she fell off the back of it, and now she's terrified of horses. So I don't think she'll be going near it in a hurry. Okay, so there's Penny, a, there's a Pen- commentator or something like that. But not yeah, Penny, Penny is absolutely fearless and will do anything. So it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm against it because I was flat out watching Melissa ride in races. It just gets me nervous watching because I've seen the injuries and the and the deaths and mm. things. And uh, mm. I think you can be happy in life without risking your life every day. And uh, I wouldn't like my girls to do it. I'd be oh, I'd be cringing. I'd be cringing. And but if they want to do it, I'm yeah. not, I'm, you know, it's their life. Absolutely. And you sort of, as you said at the start of this year, closer to the end than you were to the beginning, post-racing, do you think there's a good program in play for jocks that have retired, you know, that, that there is something there for them to, whether it be to get into the media, because the media is bigger than it's ever been with racing now, with, you know, obviously racing.com and uh, those sort of opportunities, or, um, you know, do you think you're prepared well for life after racing? Uh, yes and no. I, I think uh, we have had a career transition program um, that we, we've, we've had a couple of people help us with and being a jockey is so different to anything else that uh, the boys find it hard to, you know, you can point them in the right direction but 
you don't know when you've got a day off because you, your rides come and go each week and yep. so it's really hard to plan things to do courses and, and look forward to things and plan properly. So it, it is a hard one to, to plan the next career. Obviously, I've been planning it for quite a while, waiting for the next step and obviously I'm planning on speaking to you guys and planning on going into real estate. Um, but the other guys, they do find it tough. They do find it tough but we have got a good program in place and we have got people there to help them make the next step. So... I'm hoping that it's slowly getting better, but it is a really tough one um, for the people that are oh, 25 to 35 now. It's, it's hard for them because a lot of them left school early, mm-hmm. whereas now the kids are staying till they're 18, finishing school, and then becoming a jockey. So it might be easier for them to transition. And that's really what Desi Keith and Maddie Highland told me, Pete, that, that they've had to go front end or back end. So they thought they'll start at the front end first, get them prepared properly so that as they're coming through, they'll have a better exit strategy for them. But they really need to improve the entry level, which they've done, as you said in your own words, that they've done that incredibly well. So it's just interesting because, you know, racing is something I'm interested in because my wife's passionate about it. Growing up, I didn't really care too much about it other than the Melbourne Cup. It was a, a long weekend, so you love that. And you'd be in a cup sweep and you get some interest there. And it seems to be top of mind around about end of August, end of November, and then you don't think about it again for mm. the rest of the year. But these guys, it's a there's a race meeting every day by Christmas Day, isn't there? Like it's a well, three sixty. You won the uh, you won the Sale Cup, Cup last yes. week, didn't you? Well done, <laughs> well done. That's, um, that was good because because uh, Willow was chasing you, he couldn't get you. Yeah, which is good. I always <laughs> like beating Willow because um, I know he takes <laughs> it to heart. He takes it to heart. Is this your wave as you salute? <laughs> yeah, so um, it was actually. Mark Riley, he's got a bit to do with that yep. horse and I was apprenticed to him and the guy that actually trains at um, Logan McGill, he was apprenticed to Mark as well. So obviously uh, being my last year of riding, it, uh, it, was, it was great to ride a winner for them guys. Full you know? circle, isn't it? Bloody Bloody brilliant. Brilliant. And, that, and that's the Sale Cup, $200,000 race. We're not talking anything shabby there. Like yeah. That was an amazing sort of uh, meeting. All the, all the big jockeys were there too, so it wasn't like yeah. it was a yeah, provincial sort of, uh, you know, find some guy who's doing track work, come and ride this one in the first. These were pretty good jockeys, weren't they? Yeah, it was, um, it was a, pretty, it's a pretty serious meeting up there now. Like you said, it's 200000 and, and a couple of the horses um, were entered at Mooney Valley on the Friday night in big races as well and they chose the Sale Cup over it and ended up being, it ended up being a pretty strong race but uh, obviously very good prize money. So, Isn't yeah, it great it's for country Victorian racing? It's so absolutely. good. We used to always go to the, the Bendigo Cup. It was just a ripping a ripping did you see any of those, those races? No, I did not. No, rip. Okay. no, no, no just, I did not. Just trying to get a feel. I'm just thinking, are you a city player? Or are you a, clearly what I'm hearing there is it doesn't really matter where you are, what track, so long as there's beer and socialising to do, you'll be doing it. Look, I can't cool. lie. That's uh, that has been you know a very very high on the agenda. But for um, our listeners and viewers, Peter is a member of the VRC, so I just want that. I yeah, want you, that you may you okay. You will see me out there at the bird cage, no but you won't see him anywhere looking at a track. Is what I'm hearing. Got to go a little bit easy though, because I've got the block auction next Saturday. There you go. Day. Is, is, uh, so I've got to be a little bit careful of that, but um, but let's uh, let's start to wrap now. And um, and as we do, you know, I really encourage our listeners to to watch YouTube for the simple <laughs> reason that I don't think I've seen any of our guests smile Never as smile, much as this as guy. As this, yep. And um, that's why you, you can't be an undertaker a- post um, <laughs> racing. You just could not be a funeral director. But but Stephen, I mean, we only met only you know very recently. And um, I've got to say, you're just a, you're just a great guy to be around and talk to, and the, the attitude is is, is incredible. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy who started racing at 15, who's now 44, looking at you know, I, I don't know exactly how long it is to go yet, Steve, but um, but I know real estate is on the cards for you post racing. It's and only about three weeks, mate. Is oh, that right? Hello. Is that what? 
We're breaking news here. Breaking news. Richo, <laughs> racing.com. <laughs> where, where all the big stories come. And uh, hang on, that broadcast. Wow. Sorry. Uh, right. Late scratching. <laughs> no, you got, you got well, that's exciting, mate. That's, I didn't realise it was that soon, but uh, wow. You know, so it's only, only about three weeks. Yeah, well... Um, Thanks for the kind words, but uh, obviously I came looking for you guys. You didn't come looking for me. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your help and, uh, yeah, obviously real estate's going to be my next career and uh – but yeah, I, I've racing. I love it. So it's it's always going to be my blood, and I'll always I'll always still be around racing. So well, Rick's pretty happy because he'll, he'll no longer be the smallest guy in real estate. That's right. Which I've <laughs> I've, I've 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 actually honoured that role for a long period of time, almost three decades, Pete. But um, thank you. That's, that's payback for the North Melbourne quote, isn't it? Post season, oh, there's plenty more. Yeah. Okay, I get it. No, it's okay. I'm actually thrilled I can fit into these silks just quietly. I'm, what are you talking about? It's actually big on you. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of wind resistance. Not, not here, I don't. We, we do wear a safety vest underneath. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't ruin thank a good you. story. It's, that's exactly what we want to hear. But in wrapping up, mate, thank you so much for uh, – this is a very busy time for you. We want to see the power of this show mm. that, you know, let's get Stevie Bester into the Melbourne Cup. It'll be his uh, last chance, his last ride. We, we'll, we'll take an outsider, take a 201 shot. Tell you what, he'll be going past the winning post first, second or last with a big smile on his face that you can't ask for any much more than Would that. Would he wear the red and white voices of value silks? <laughs> Have we got the red and white horses? <laughs> we need those. We need those. Down. Yeah, we'll, we'll jot that down as something that, that, that we can do next going production forward. But uh, in terms of what we've shared today, clearly what we're hoping you're getting out of this is attitude is everything. You know, perspective is right in this guy's wheelhouse. He's very lucky, he says, and he's very fortunate. And so because he starts off every day with the gratitude for what he's got, mm. it's very easy for him to execute what he does on a uh, on a racetrack, whether that be in a big race like we've got over this weekend. Uh, this is live now on Derby Day, one of the big days in Australian race if not one of the best days globally for, for racing. But Stevie Baster is somebody who uh, I couldn't find anyone who didn't like him and I tried. Um, I asked for some dirt from Willow. I asked for some dirt from Des and Matt and no one could give me any dirt. All I could say, Pete, was the exact same thing we've experienced here. Hopefully what our listening audience has heard and what our YouTube visual people are seeing as well, which is this is a guy who is passionate about life, is committed to being the best he can be while he's in it. It doesn't dictate everything else he does in his life. Racing isn't his life. It just is part of his lifestyle. It's in his blood. He loves it, but not more so than his three girls and not more so than what he wants to do post-racing. Uh, post so it's been refreshing to hear that sort of attitude from an elite operative. Absolutely. He's been the ultimate professional in his career that spanned, you know, 30-odd years. And now um, we wish you all the very best of luck because we will absolutely be there to support the transition into real estate. Uh, um, it, it brings a real smile to my face that, that the industry is gaining absolutely. someone like yourself. And from the conversations that we've had already, it's uh, it's going to be a real treat that uh, that vendors and you know, buyers alike are going to get to deal with someone um, with a professionalism and um, an attitude like yourself, Stevie. So wish you all the very best in that. And thanks for sharing some amazing stories and giving our listeners some some great insights into a into a um, into a demanding sort of field, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a great sport. It's a sport that gives so many people so much joy and happiness and um and it's been an outstanding sterling career and we uh, congratulate you for that absolutely and can i say racing's loss is real estate's gain from what i've just heard there mm. thanks very much guys we really appreciate you having me on we trust you enjoyed listening to voices of value a shared conversation between rick rushton peter kakos and their valued guests their views are not necessarily those of the wider world but they should be 
Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. And we love to hear both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced through our website, voicesofvaluepodcast.com. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.